Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. So I want to ask you a question today. What did you want to be when you grew up? See, are you in the profession that you dreamed about? Are you in the job that you like, you don't like? Perhaps you uh, took a different route than what you wanted to be when you grew up, but you're enjoying the job you're currently in. Now, I know when we were kids and someone asked you, hey, what did you want to be when you grow up? You may or may not have an answer. But even though we don't have an answer, I think there's one answer we could have to this particular question, and it is this. Who do you want to be like? See, Gatorade was very smart in the 90s. They made an ad uh, campaign around the basketball legend Michael Jordan because everyone wanted to be like Mike. So they had this commercial And on this commercial was kids and showing Michael Jordan and all his moves. And while they were doing this, the the theme song was really catchy. And it was, uh, if I could be like Mike. You know, sometimes I dream that he is me. That's what I want to be. If I could be like Mike. If I could be like Mike. And during that time, Michael Jordan was someone everyone looked up to. You wish you could have the talent that he had. But believe it or not, they, we really liked him because he was just an athlete. He was out just to play basketball. He didn't state his opinion on the current climate of affairs. He just was someone who went out and did his job. But And he did it well, and he had amazing, amazing talent. But for me, yeah, sure, I wish I had Michael Jordan's talent, but that's not who I wanted to be like. Growing up, I wanted to be like Irvin Magic Johnson. As a matter of fact, I have a cardboard cutout here. Since I was a kid, it's been in my room, and it's signed there. It says, to Joey from Magic. Yeah, Joey when I was a kid. (laughs) But I wanted to be like him, and and I wanted to play for the Lakers. So much so that when I played basketball, I would try to imitate his moves. Anytime I was on the basketball court, whether it was a pickup game, or whether I was trying to play in a a game, middle school or high school, I tried to imitate his, his moves. I even had a shirt, you know, I was had a... White shirt with neon colors on it and had magic doing a no-look pass. And it said, bust a move. And I tried to imitate some of those no-look passes uh, growing up. But the other thing I, I remember growing up is I remember just wanting to be so much playing for the Lakers and like magic that my parents had this uh, long ranch-style house. And one end you had the one part, you had the dining room. And then you went down, you had the kitchen in the hall down to the living room. Well, I remember running down the hall or jogging, you know, and I was jogging down the hall and I would take up both my hands and I'd hit the door jams or hit the side of the wall pretending I was being introduced to play for the Lakers. And as I was going down the hall, I was clapping my teammates and I was high-fiving my teammates as I was going onto the floor. 
But see, even before I, I first wanted to be like Magic Johnson and before you had your first childhood hero, you were already becoming like someone. See, you were becoming like your parents. And the reason why we're so much like our parents is because of the thousands of hours that we are with them in their presence. Think about it for just a moment. We have logged in so many hours with them, but the most time that they really formed us was during our formative early childhood years. And even growing up as middle school and teenagers. Think about this. We learned how to emotionally respond to situations, good or bad, from them. How many times have you heard a parent say that their child is a mini-me? Think about this for one minute in your own life. What are some of the positive and negative ways that you are like your parents? See, some of you today have an incredible work ethic because you saw that was modeled in your childhood. Maybe your parent, one of your parents modeled a good work ethic and you caught it by it being modeled. Some of you are extremely positive because of what was modeled to you. Right? You're positive because you saw a parent. They didn't get stressed in a situation. They're always looking the best for someone else. See, but the same for positive ways that you picked up from your parents. There's also you picked up on their negative ways. See, how many think about this and when there are stressful situations that hit the house how was it handled when everything was stressful how was it handled and then look at your own life and how do you handle stressful situations how about conflict how was conflict handled in your home did everyone just have a an outburst and get angry were doors slammed were people given the silent treatment Was it swept under the carpet like nothing ever happened? Maybe you went and slept on it. No one said a word, but you woke up the next day like nothing ever happened. See, so how do you handle conflict today? Because believe it or not, those have have shaped you. And human nature is to imitate what we are repeatedly around. That's why from time to time, your spouse or your sibling or friend will say something like this, you are just like your dad. You are just like your mom. See, grandparents chuckle when they see their grandchildren acting the way their own children were when they were raising them. See, it's like they say, oh, you got this coming. And maybe you're a parent and you've said this to to your own child when they're behaving badly or something. You're like, oh, you just wait. You just might have someone who, a child who just acts like you. And I remember growing up, especially when my kids were younger, my mom used to get a kick out of seeing uh, my children act the way I did as a, as a child. Now, let me just tell you how I was as a child. I would get upset over certain things because I had perfection tendencies. You know, you can't be perfect, but I, I always strive to be. And one area is I would never uh, want my socks to be um misaligned so my socks always had to be the same height I never wore two different color socks Uh, I had to have my letters perfect and even today when I write I will go over my letters one or two times if I don't like them but when I was a kid if I didn't like my stuff my homework or my 
my writing paper that I was writing for English class, I would crumple it up and start all over. And then when my kids were young, my mom used to laugh because my kids were the same way. Uh, you know, I have a child who out- outfit, if one, if it doesn't, they say that it doesn't feel right, so they'd go and change another outfit. And I have one who had to have things perfect and won't wear two different color socks. And, you know, one of them at one time might have just restarted their homework because it wasn't perfect. Right, so we, we get our, our tendencies and our qualities from being around our parents. But as we get older, there's something else that we tend to do, and that is to imitate our friends. See, I, I, I just know that as parents, we understand this one truth, and that is this, that friends have one of the most influences in our child's life. And that's the why I think every parent can relate and they worry or sometimes have fear of what their friends, their child will surround themselves with. See, there's some people who pray hard that their child will find the right friend, find the right person. And hopefully it's a good, solid influence, a good godly influence, because we know that who our children choose to be their friends will have a major impact on them. And it's natural for kids to imitate other kids' good or for the wrong reasons. See, now let's talk about your life. What do you notice And what do people notice about your life? What do they say? What do they see? Hopefully, if you've been a Christian very long, others will notice the difference. See, maturity begins to set in and rise to the top, and others can begin to see it. And if that is true, then why do people outside the faith have a different view? See, maybe it's because not all of us have given off the same qualities. Maybe someone who says they follow Jesus, looks. we look at one person's life and then we look at the next and they don't line up. And then the reason is, is because some may have picked up some traits somewhere else along the way. Or perhaps they've imitated something else besides their Heavenly Father. But what happens is we tend to go and drift away and people notice that there's no difference between their lives and our lives. See, why would someone want to be a Christ follower if there's no difference. And the question you got to ask yourself is, are we following in the right way? Or do we need to make some adjustments, especially to how we live our lives? And Paul, in scriptures, would say yes. That there's a way to live in the way God wants us to live. And anything short of that gives others the wrong impression about who we're following. See, there's good news, though. We can move into the right direction. See, all of us at some point have admired someone or someone has admired you. And when you admire someone or you look at them and you you begin to take your cues from them, see, the respect you have for that person leads you just to be like them. See, as parents and even grandparents, We want the best for our children. And that is why we take so much time to instill good work ethic, morals, responsibility, and even values. 
See, while they're under our care and while we're forming them, we want to train them so they can be responsible, successful adults when they leave the house. But it's not only parents, it's teachers as well. Teachers want the best for their students. Sure, they're teaching them math and English and different subjects, but they're also teaching them life lessons. Coaches have the same philosophy. They're teaching about the sport, and they want them to excel to the next level. But they're also, when you're coaching, you're teaching, and you're giving kids life lessons as well. See, it's true in every aspect of being a parent or a teacher or a coach, but it's also true of Paul. And see, Paul, at one moment he was killing Christians, and the next he's mentoring them. And in the book of Ephesians, we find that Paul is mentoring other believers. See, it's the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And in chapter 4 of his letter, we find he's dealing with Christian conduct, and he's giving out practical application to the recipients. See, the readers are reminded by Paul that their lives, what they were like before they met Jesus, before they had this transformation with him. See, they used to act and speak a certain way, and now Paul encourages them to change their behavior. And as a follower of Jesus or one whose life has been transformed, he says, you, we are, you are required to live differently. So he begins to talk to them in regards of putting off and putting on. And so he wants the believers of Ephesus, the people in the church, to put off their old ways, their old life, and to walk in the new life with Christ. So Paul continues in, the, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and, and he says that we should remove lying, that we should speak the truth, that we shouldn't steal, and we should edify others. Then he comes to the end of the chapter, and he writes at the very end of verse 31, and he writes this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, believers are to get rid of these six vices. And when he talks about rage, you know what he means? He means outbursts of anger. And it doesn't matter what age you are, he says it just needs to stop. Brawling means shouting or clamor. Get rid of slander and malice means get rid of ill will or wickedness. Then he goes on to tell them to put on what they should do. In verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. See, the reason he states all these commands is because God is all of those things. He is kind, he's compassionate, he's gracious, and he forgives to all the believers. See, since that was all those things Paul wants the believers to be, he wants them to to strive to be like that as well. So in the next verses, he states how you and I can move in the direction of living and walking the way God wants us to. So chapter 5, verse 1 starts with this. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. See, we are to follow the example God has given us. Or in other translations, it says to imitate or copy God. We are to copy his behavior. But when you really think about it, it can be quite difficult to do. It gets difficult when you're asking us to imitate something you've never seen before. You might have experienced it, but you've never seen it. So to follow his example can be pretty tough to do. And see, for some of us, it might be difficult because of the magnitude of who God is. 
See, when you think about God and what he's like, you try to formulate how we're supposed to imitate him, and it can be quite overwhelming. See, there's no really way to compare ourselves to God, and when we do, we're just overwhelmed. Just take a look at who he is and the attributes he possesses. He's self-existent and self-sufficient, which is really hard, if you think about it, to wrap our minds around because he's different from what we know. See, God has always been and he always will be. And since he's always existed, he isn't accountable to anyone. And for some of us, that's hard to think, hard to reason, hard to imagine. Then to say that he's self-sufficient is to say he doesn't need anyone. And really, he truly doesn't need you or I. He doesn't need anyone, but he chooses to use us. But if you think about it, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's present everywhere. And following, imitating God, knowing those characteristics that he possesses can be difficult at times. See, what we know about who he is and those characteristics are completely different than what we've experienced and what we know. See, we have a beginning point and an ending point to our lives here on earth. See, and although we, we would say that we don't need anything or anyone, that isn't true. We know we need the essentials to live life. And even though we might be introverted or we might be having a rough day with people, we know we still need people. See, there's a desire for companionship. There's a de- desire for relationship. And copying God may seem far off because we are not like him and we don't possess his great ap- attributes. But that shouldn't prevent us from striving to be more like him. See, each of us can relate to his attributes that he communicates. You can understand justice and mercy and love and compassion, faithfulness and goodness. And just like God, we can have those or, and we can express those. And sure, we can pursue justice, show mercy and compassion, as well as being loyal and faithful. But how do we do such a thing? And Paul would say to do such a thing is to become a child of God. You do it because you're a child of God. However, let's just pause there because when you think of being a child of God, we tend to just throw that term around. We voice that, oh, he's a child of God, she's a child of God, and I'm a child of God. But according to John, not everyone is a child. He would say there's a ding, a, a, excuse me, a clear distinction between the two. There's a distinction between creation and, a, and being a child. And in his gospel, he, sa- he would say this, Yet to all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we believe, we receive, and your status changes. See, we become children. The assumption is that because God made us and he provides for us that we are his children. But that's not the case. You become a children, child when you place your trust in God. Becoming a child happens when you receive the gift of Jesus, when you place your trust in him, when you start a relationship with him. Then and only then do you move from a creation to being a child. See, God gave it to us because we believe in who he is and what he did for us. And as you trust and place your trust in him, 
you receive the life that he's given to each and every one of us. But it only takes place when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus that you become a child, a child of God. Then Paul, going back into Ephesians, Paul would give instructions to those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And he says, those who have done so, you need to move from to following in his footsteps. You need to be like God. And he lays out clearly what he must do in order to be one and who and how to copy your heavenly father. See, just as a son would imitate a good a good father and a daughter would imitate a good mother, Paul wants God's children to imitate their father. So he says this <clears throat> in Ephesians 5:2. He says, And walk in the way of love just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of of love, Paul would say, that's what you and I are supposed to do. And out of all the characteristics that God possesses, the one Paul wants us to mimic is his love. And his love isn't the way we think of love, because we think of, oh, I love this. We, We show affection towards an object. But that's not how you describe God's love. It's different. It carries unique qualities. It's not selfish. And it loves unconditionally. See, the love of God can be understood by looking at what he did and for whom he did it. His love for us, he gave for us. He did not have to go to the cross for you and I. But he chose to die one of the most horrific ways because the relationship was important to him. See, the relationship with man was broken, and it all happened when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. They wanted to do what they thought was best. The forbidden tree that God said not to eat from, they ended up eating and breaking the relationship. But see, God doesn't need anybody But because he loves us and cares for us and wants the relationship to be made right, he made it right by sending Jesus to die for us. See, for God it was simple. Someone had to atone. Someone had to pay for the sins of man and make it right. God loved us so much that he gave. And when you talk about giving... Sacrifice goes together with giving. And on that day when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, it pleased God. His obedience was a sacrifice God desired. And it was one that pleased him and was acceptable to him and brought man and God back in right relationship. So as when you think about this, and Paul writes this, he's really writing one thing that he wants you and I to get and the believers of Ephesus to get. And the point is this, that children of God imitate God. That if you call yourself a Christian, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you are to imitate your Heavenly Father. You're to imitate Him. 
But see, imitating God means we reflect on the character of God and we are to duplicate his behavior. But when Paul makes his point, it feels like an enormous task. It feels like we can't accomplish it. And feeling that way usually means we look at ourselves in terms of what we can and cannot do. See, when you look hard enough at yourself, you understand that we're just flawed individuals. See, the task we are given is to replicate our Heavenly Father's character can seem impossible. And even though we aren't perfectly striving to love the way God loves, it can be done by following His example. See, the process of imitating God's love is pretty simple. Even though we make it seem difficult, what we must do is look to the characteristics of His love. See, we are to model the love of God that was shown to each and every one of us. The love that he showed to us was one that was forgiving, unselfish. It was giving, and it was even unconditional. And when Jesus went to the cross, those were present. And the good news is that God's love didn't stop at the cross. God's love continues today. And as children, we need to take on the good traits of their father We must see the way God loves and respond accordingly. See, the best context for loving God happens in relationships. In other words, loving people the way God loved us. See, this can be difficult because people are people. And people make mistakes. And some of those mistakes are bigger than others. And when mistakes happen no matter how big or how small they are, difficulty arises. But when you walk through mistakes and you restore relationships, it happens when we begin to choose and walk in the love the way God loves. See, for some of you, you begin to let things go. You've let hurt and pain start to go, but it requires you to forgive. And God's love is the one that forgives. He forgives us what we have done and what we will do. He extends his love to us by forgiving all our mistakes and disobedience towards him. And when it comes to this idea of forgiveness, that's where some of us begin to struggle. Sure, we know that we are to imitate God's love by forgiving, but right now it seems very difficult. But forgiveness is tough because of how deep your hurt extends. How deep your hurt goes down into your life. See, maybe you're here and you're not talking to a family member or someone close to you. And the incident just didn't happen yesterday. But it's taken years since you've talked. And maybe recently a co-worker or someone that's close to you, has betrayed you, hurt you, backstabbed you. And instead of choosing to forgive, you give them the cold shoulder. You ignore them at work, when in their room, or when they talk. You act as if they're not even there. 
And it doesn't just affect you. It affects others as well. See, others in the room can feel a tension between you two. And it makes for an unhealthy environment. And it's unhealthy all because of your choice. Your choice not to walk in forgiveness. A choice because your hurt goes deep. See, choosing not to forgive hurts you the most. The other person is at fault and they could or could not already try to make things right. They may even have tried to let it go or they might not even know that you're offended. Really, unforgiveness has the most impact on your life. The more you hold on to the grudge and blame fault elsewhere, the more bitter you become. And before you know it, bitterness has you entangled. You become a slave to your emotions instead of walking in freedom. If you find yourself in that place today, you need to let it go. Forgiving lets go of the weight that is keeping you from loving. To live a life of love, to imitate Christ, you must love how He does. That is why having a love that forgives is a love that forgives no matter what. But maybe it isn't someone you have to forgive. But perhaps today you have to forgive yourself. See, some of us view God as one who hangs our past over us. That somehow we can't be used by him because of what we've done. And that's just not true. That's just a lie. So if you're believing it, hear me, that is a lie. God's not holding anything over your head. Matter of fact, God is, he is concerned about where you've been. But he's more concerned about where you are going. And see, your past does not determine your future. The direction God wants you to head is where you begin, first and foremost, as a child of God, have a relationship with him. Then you walk in love. And then you begin to imitate his love towards others. And you get to that point by realizing what he's done for you and you forgive yourself. See, God's love is a love that forgives, but it is selfless. In other words, God's love gives of itself. And this idea of giving can be hard to actually live out. The reason is, is how we approach life and relationships. See, some of us have a hard time giving of ourselves because we live in a world that revolves around us. Our agenda and our schedule reflect that. And whether society promotes that or not, we just can't seem to go beyond ourselves. And we might say that we care about others, but our actions speak differently. Yet there's others of us who have a tough time giving of ourselves because we're afraid to do so. Fear sets in 
And because we're afraid of what will happen, we don't give of ourselves. See, it holds us back because maybe, just maybe, we will get hurt. And some of us have experienced that. You let someone in your life, you really got to know you, and then the relationship got bumpy and you got hurt. And now you live a life full of cautiousness. You are a cautious person when it comes to relationships. And so we also tend to believe that if we give of ourselves, we will be disappointed. The relationship can dissolve quickly when someone only gives in a relationship. See, for a relationship to be successful, there needs to be giving and taking. No relationship can function at its best if we are doing one or the other. See, if one person is just taking, it wears on the one who is just giving. Giving and taking go hand in hand. And if you're the only one who's taking and not giving into the relationship, it can dissolve quickly. And one might feel as if they're being taken advantage of. But relationships work better when people are fully invested. See, God gave nothing in return. He was fully invested. He doesn't just give part of himself. He gave it all. God does just not give his heart in pieces. He gives it all. And when we give, sometimes we give in pieces. See, we just give a little bit in a relationship because we're afraid it might turn for the worse. I think if I give my time and my resources, it's just a matter of time before disappointment settles in. When that happens, you walk through life not trusting again. See, if I, you think if I give and let them know me, then they'll see the real me. They'll know me for who I am. And being authentic scares some of us. But if you expect to get something in return, you will be disappointed. God loved the world that he gave. And he gave and didn't expect anything in return. He just gave and people have the choice to choose a relationship with him or not. So give and expect nothing in return. See, there's a reason why we need to get this right. Because you may be the visible expression of your Heavenly Father that someone needs to see. See, others may see an invisible God in an, a visible way if you just imitate the character and nature of God. But the problem lies in the fact that we haven't been good representation for God. But I want to tell you a story as we wrap this up of a young man who made an impact 
on his family and on people because he was a good representation of God. See, I was doing middle school and for nine years, while I was doing middle school, this young man was in high school. And after he got out of high school, he moved off and lived somewhere else, got married, didn't hear from him. Then years later, I heard he got sick. And eventually, he went to go be with the Lord. And I remember sitting during the funeral and listening to people talk about his life and what an impact he had on their life. But nothing stuck with me more than the words of his wife when she came up and talked about what he was like. And she summed it up as this. That my husband pointed me to Jesus. He responded and acted the way he would. Before he was sick and during his illness, he was the same. He loved Jesus, walked with Jesus, and lived Jesus. And others around him knew. He pointed us to Jesus. When I sat there, I thought, that's what I want to be like. That is a great representation to others. See, you don't know what hangs in the balance of you loving and imitating your Heavenly Father. See, people need to see it, His love in and through you. But the only expression of God someone might see may be through your life. See, there's a world out there people need to see the love of God, perhaps before they experience God. They could be your friends, your family members, your co-workers, employees, teachers, or your next-door neighbor. But all of them need to experience the love of God, and they might just need it from you. And I know that seems hard, and we don't always get this right. We don't always live the way we should live. We don't always show others that our life is different. And we don't always imitate our Heavenly Father. But just because we've messed up or haven't done a good job of it doesn't mean we can't start over. Doesn't mean we can't continue to strive to be like Him. Because someone needs to see the love of God in and through our lives. And the way you become like your Heavenly Father, the way you imitate Him, is you need to be more and more around Him. See, the more you're around someone, the more you become like them. And the more you spend time with Him, the more you understand Him, 
and the more you'll be like him. Why? Because children of God imitate God. So I hope that you walk out of here living a life of love so that someone can see the love of God and eventually experience the love of God. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.